So I've been asked to talk about um, uh, current issues and that was all I was given. And so I've taken the liberty to work out what to mean by that. And let me just say in advance, um, one of the great blessings of having me here, and I'm here for the men's convention tomorrow, is that, um, as Jonathan expressed, I'm, I'm one of the keys to ensuring that you don't ever fall into the trap, the Corinthian problem of having um, conferences and conventions that attract the best speakers. So uh, I'm helping you guys out by this process, do you see? And, uh, and to let you know too, I will have strong statements about various things. Craig will have strong statements. We, we have strong views on all kinds of stuff. And um, one of the things we are cultivating in our church and have for the very beginning and, cult- and want to encourage everywhere we go is robust discussion. Did you see? We, we are very good with conflict in our church. We, we don't love it, but we embrace it. We, we uh, work it. <laughs> and so we appreciate the kind of opinion that people fight over and wrestle within our staff context, in our ministries. And, and that's very much what we try and do as we move around the place too. So I, I'm just alerting you, I may make some statements that are somewhat uh, strong and I can never tell if I've done it but you'll know and just be aware that's what's happening and push back, all right? We do it to push back. And, and I'm doing it too because the thing I take it we're here to do is to encourage each other in our ministries to reach the areas we're in. Who doesn't want to see their church grow? Um, we, want to, we want to win Australia with the gospel. We want to see this church building too small. We want to see every facility that you're in too small uh, there are, and I'm going to talk about more of this through the day, we, we, want, to, we want to see the gospel conquer hearts for Jesus. Um, I take it that's what we're about, and I assume that that's partly why you've come today. Um, and so I want, to, I want to talk to you and, and get Craig to keep nudging this as well. How can we make our churches more effective and see fruit, see fruit in Men and Women 1? Uh, how can we do that? And how can we do it in a multiplication ministry? That is to say, I think most of us are capable of doing the addition ministries. I think most of us, if you give us a Bible, this is, we tend to draw in this kind of group who are good with the Bible, we are good with personal discipleship work, most of us. And so you give me a group of 15 people you give me a small Bible study group and I'll work to see them grow. You give me 100 people and I'll get the 10 or 15 and I'll make a difference in a few, and people, a few people will grow. We're not going to win Australia by that process. If we don't learn how to multiply and leverage our impact so that it goes beyond the 10 or 15 that we might norm, normally be able to impact through ministries... We will not win the country for Christ, do you see? And so partly what's, the, the, almost the presupposition that operates in all that we'll be seeking to talk together about today is how do we do multiplication ministries? How do we make you make a bigger impact than just one person might normally make? Now, partly that's a pragmatic financial thing. We can't afford to reach Australia by paying for ministers to go through Bible colleges to come out and be full-time staff members reaching 10 or 15 people each. Or maybe 100 people. We, we can't afford it. <laughs> we have to find another way 
to leverage the extraordinary resource that you are, the, the, the gifts, the financial investment that's been put into you, the skills, the, all of that that God has... We've got to find a way to multiply and maximise you if we're going to reach the country. So what are the current challenges for our day? Well, as I say, I was given a blank page and I, what I've take, picked up for... There's lots of current challenges, I think, but the one that relates most particularly, I think, of relevance to what we'll be talking about today is the issue of theological pragmatism. Theological pragmatism. That is giving proper weight and focus and concern uh, to considering pragmatic issues in ministry. Uh, I think that's, that's a bubbling, um, uh, festering sore at present. Um, and it's something we need to uh, not run from. Um, I, I, it's so helpful to have Jonathan open 2 Corinthians 4 um, because... What you get there is the undergirdings of who and what we are, that we're not to rely on, your words were, methods, techniques. Um, rather, we, uh, we don't put ourselves forward, we present Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. That's, there's the ministry philosophy as jars of clay. Important to get that undergirding and have our awareness that it's, the gospel of Jesus that is the power for salvation. Not lighting. <laughs> Not the way the chairs are set out. Yeah? It's important to desperately get that. We want to grow our work. Uh, we are struggling. Do you know, what is it, 2 or 3% we are reaching at present, generally across the country. That is, that is insignificant. Absolutely insignificant. Our churches are small and we are vulnerable. Our churches are doing lots of soul searching. I don't know if you're aware, but the Baptist denomination is, is flatlined. Uh, it's not growing, uh, certainly in New South Wales and I think ACT, uh, possibly also Queensland. They're doing a lot of their own soul searching. They've put out reports in recent times about why this is happening. They're not producing ministers. Pastors aren't being trained. In th- there's three or four guys in college each year coming through. The future for Baptist ministry is, is in great concern. Um, the, the Pentecostal world is flatlined as well. This is a report that I'm given. Uh, I'm not, I've seen the actual report for the Baptists, but I'm told that Pentecostalism, this, is the, this last, year, last year and this year is the first years they've actually plateaued. Um, uh, uh, Presbyterianism is struggling. I mean, you go through all the denominations. The only denomination in the country that is powering on and growing fast is FIEC. Um, <laughs> and we're happy to have you come and join us. It's... Um, that's actually how we're growing. We're just poaching. It, um, <laughs> but, but you've got this kind of main... All these denominational sit- settings uh, are struggling. The Reformed churches, um, there are breaths of fresh air. Am I, am I right? But generally there's a struggle. Congregationalism is dying. Um, kind of strong evangelical traditions in the past uh, are in, in difficult waters. It has made many of us vulnerable to various movements. And so, and all these movements that come out, generally from America, of course, all these movements are driven by a desire to win the lost. And so, you get the seeker services out of Willow Creek. Who can remember the Willow Creek thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. B- big conferences in Sydney, all that kind of deal. Um, but of course, uh, most of us, 
we're able to look, look on and say, uh, it's pragmatism. It's not driven by the gospel. Um, and of course, the Reveal paper that um, came out that Bill Hybels sponsored for his own churches, I think it was Reveal, wasn't it, that um, indicated, yes, they themselves are now aware that it hasn't grown people at all. It's grown the numbers, but it's not grown the kingdom. Uh, Wimber, of course, came out with his critique of programmatic evangelism as being ineffective. Here's another way to make a bigger impact, power evangelism. Do you see, this kind of thing came... Many people have been vulnerable to that. There's a whole now movement, of course, City Positive out of Redeemer is coming through. Um, now, I don't mean to critique it at all, but I'm suggesting that we will be vulnerable without sufficient uh, awareness and discernment to embrace these things because they offer a solution to the struggle we're having. Uh, the total church, the whole total church movement, the uh, gospel communities, uh, it's not attractional, it's missional. This new movement's come through. All of these things are seeking to solve the issue and problem of lack of impact. How can we make an impact? How can we be faithful to the gospel in that? Everyone's seeking to be faithful to the gospel in it, there's no doubt. Liberals wanted to be faithful to the gospel, um, but of course lost it in the process. The challenge for us, I think the current challenge, is to is as it always has been, to maintain our theological kind of foundations and heart and superstructure and everything, to maintain that and yet not drift into a kind of circle of wagons fundamentalism where out of fear that we might become pragmatically driven, we, we, we circle the wagons and we just say, we're word and prayer people. Ineffective and fruitless, yes. But we're the word and fair prayer people. We're the faithful ones. We won't trust in anything except the word and prayer. And so we continue to run ministries that no one wants to come to, <laughs> that are impacting no one. Uh, but we're faithful word and prayer people. Now, I, I think the challenge for us is to work into this in careful ways and to not force what are distinctives into separations. That is, there are things that are distinctive about, you know, there is, the, there is the vine and there is the trellis, but they're not separate things, do you see? And we can force this, we can force this separation and alternatives. So um, uh, we trust the word and prayer, therefore we won't consider pragmatics. That's our challenge. And I think Jonathan was very helpful in pointing out that he wasn't saying that. You're not saying that, are you, brother? No, no, no. Because you made the comment about the conference that might well. But you see, what Jonathan does for us is that he sets the platform, which is, it's the gospel in weak vessels that will change the world as we trust in God, prayerfully. That's the change now, you don't, the danger is that we hear what Jonathan says and go, ah, oh, yeah, that, we're the not pragmatic guys. That's our challenge, to maintain that gospel heart DNA core where it's the word, it's theologically driven, it's trust God, not pragmatics, and yet learn some pragmatics. And to think into some skillful ways of bringing the word and prayer to bear. This is our great problem as Reformed Evangelicals. We, um, 
Some people do it naturally, and so it doesn't look like they're pragmatic at all. So, for instance, um, I, uh, y- you have different people lead different groups, and you know, in your, your small group networks in your churches. And some people run groups where everyone wants to go to. You found that? There's some people who lead groups and they're always hard work, but some people, they just keep, they get, they get their 12, they get their 15, they get their 20, you've got to split them because everyone wants to be in their group. And they just do something and often they don't even know what they do. Their, their house is just warm and inviting, people want to go there, they want to hang out at their house. There's music playing, the places, uh, the, it's, you know, there's various things that happen that make people just like being there and the people often running a house like that aren't aware that they're doing these things. But... There is a pragmatic impact that just playing music when you walk into a room helps. That having the temperature of the house and the lighting in a certain way helps. Now, you're not trusting in those things. They just do those things instinctively. The problem is we've got a bunch of people in church leadership who have never had any instincts for these things at all and so run ministries without any awareness of those things and so we're just word and prayer people. There, there is, the, the Bible does talk pragmatics. Um, you know, the reward, is, the reward goes to the hard-working farmer. Proverbs chapter 12, all the way through Proverbs. The, so, um, to Timothy 2, you know, the, it's the soldier, it's the hard-working farmer. It's the, so there is a sense in which you may be a word and prayer man, but if you're a, if you're a lazy word and prayer man, you're not going to bear much fruit. So what's one of the pragmatics? You've got to be a hard worker to bring the gospel to bear in people's lives that it brings its fruit. There's a pragmatic. That's not denying our trust and faith in the gospel as the power of God, of course. It's, um, you, you, you get two men with the gospel, one in this ministry suburb, one in this ministry. This one's growing, this one's not. Both believe the Bible, both prayerful, both humble and gracious. Why is he's growing and he's not? Our danger is, well, it's because of circumstantial factors in the suburb. It's a new growth area. They've worked out, the latest research is showing that those factors are like 2-5% of the total reason for growth. The rest is in leadership. Pragmatics. Pragmatics. Now, uh, um, we need to bring the gospel to bear. It requires the means that God has given us to bring the gospel to bear, which is our humanity, us. Do you know the reward goes to the smart farmer? It's not just the hard-working farmer. There's that lovely verse in Proverbs 24. We've preached through Proverbs recently, so this is all on my mind. Um, Proverbs 24 talks about, uh, look to your fields first, then build your house. It's just a bit of pragmatic wisdom, you think? If you want to build a farm that will produce, then pay attention to the productive part of your farm life before you go to the house and spend all your time and money building that. Because if you get your base of production established, then you'll have the funds to build the house and keep investing in producing more. But if you spend all your time and money on the house and your fields lay fallow, you'll end up with no money and nothing to actually be able to spend on the fields. This is a wisdom, do you see? And the Bible teaches that kind of pragmatics, strategic thinking. There's a theology of giftedness. There's a natural gifting that some do have in leadership and we are wise to listen to those who have that gifting that we can discern things that they're doing instinctively that we can learn to do better ourselves. Like when you run a group with 15 people coming to your house, have a bit of music on. Someone does it instinctively, I actually pick it up and learn it and do it myself, do you see? Um, But what we want beneath all of that is the foundational heart that 
the super apostles are not the way to change the world. We need the foundational heart that triumphalism is not the key. That success is ultimately in faithfully living the gospel, adorning the gospel, preaching the gospel prayerfully. So we've got to have the Jonathans keep preaching that to us. And we've got to keep defaulting back to that. I, um, I shared in our churches the other day, I visited a church in Brisbane recently, a very big church of a couple of thousand people, and um, uh, my friend took me to this church to show me this and experience it, and we got there late, we had to park it on the street, went through cars and cars and cars and cars to get to the building, and as we walked up to the front steps, on the right hand were these immaculate showroom, shiny, black BMW four-wheel drives, two of them sitting there, beautiful-looking cars, and... Uh, the number plate on one of them was Pastor 1. The number plate on the other was Pastor 2. And the sign in front of them was Pastor's Car Spots. Now, you want to honour your pastors, and wouldn't you, you wouldn't mind a little bit of that honour when you were to church. But, but that's lost the gospel, hasn't it? It may not have denied grace alone, but it's so shifted into triumphalism, which is the error of the Corinthian church, that you're now moving out of the Jesus who would have come up to that church in a beaten up Tirana <laughs> with torn upholstery and said, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I want you to know that I've come in that car. I want you to know that I drive a bomb. Do you see? I don't want you to be uninformed about my weaknesses and struggles, says Paul, because he's teaching them the gospel. That's the instinct we want to have beneath it all. Uh, but we are today going to be exploring some pragmatics um, these are not the keys, uh, but we want to think carefully about ways in which we can maximise our impact for word and prayer in the lives of our communities. But we do want to keep underlining the need to keep defaulting back to the foundational DNA core heart, word, prayer, word, prayer, in weakness, faithfully, trusting God in the process. And in fact, as we look for leadership in our church, because we do, we do work hard at systems and structures and pragmatics, we make sure very, very careful to employ people who have that heartbeat, that they are so committed to that as their core, that just one comment drives them back. Okay? Uh, Look, time's getting away. I've got, I've got more material to do, but do you, do you want to ask any questions? you want to make any comments? That was by way of introduction to today. Yeah, sir. It's, it's all of those questions. It's, um, so the, the total church movement came, the missional church movement came and said, attractional church is dead. We need now, we need now to raise up a whole generation who will be missional. And I take it by mission. Mission is one of those broad words that can mean whatever you want it to mean. But I take it generally what people mean by it is we want to live gospel life word in the communities around us rather than retreating into a building and getting people to come to us. Um, now, that's exactly what we'll get Craig up to talk about. And our very short, the, the quick short summary is why choose between? I don't think it's a choose between either programs or engaged community Christian living. It's a choice between, it's not a choice between attractional or missional. I think they're false dichotomies that have been unhealthfully driven. And I don't, the total church thing is not 
working. It's, it's just not working. There's nowhere in the world is it working. Um, it's very helpful and very good. Now, see, you just, you've just heard me express a very strong view. I'm very good friends with the guys who drive all that stuff, and we do talk together about this. And uh, yeah. Yeah, how it might play into the way we spend our time. Good, good, good. Thank you. So, uh, hospitality, the, the gifting of the requirement for hospitality plays into our ministries, perhaps not giving enough credence to that in terms of its ability to enhance our impact as ministries. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Let, let me drive into that. Uh, uh, yes, but again, I'd make the point I made at the very beginning. I'm constantly thinking about how can I build momentum so that I might learn the gift of hospitality and I might get half a dozen people. That's not going to win Australia. I need 500 people. How can I, as a leader of this community, whether it's 50, 200, 2,000, how can I, as a leader, think into the skills of leadership so that I build an energy, a momentum, a leverage, multiplication, and I won't do it by just having an open house. I, don't, I have very few people in my house anymore. Does that mean my ministry is ineffective? No, I'm having a very effective ministry. What was hospitality the key to us growing? You've got to watch all that pragmatic discussion, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I, we've got to push around on that a bit, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I thought that something more as a component of community is the word community. Yeah, yeah, look, I, thank you. So comments about community, it's, it's word prayer community. Yeah, very good. It's, um, uh, again, I want to ask questions about how I can leverage the power of community to have more impact than it does for its smallness. Most of us are small churches with small communities. How do we leverage the power of that to multiply and impact even more broadly than just the small community is itself? Um, that's what I'm constantly thinking into. And so that, for mine, drives me to start thinking systems, uh, management, leadership structure, programs, you see. And, and there is an important place in a wise leader's toolkit for all of those things to make the core gospel things of word, prayer, community um, multiply their impact, create a momentum and energy that goes beyond just the additional. Yeah. That's what we're trying to think into. And, 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 and I, what, I, what I guess I've found over the... What, what I, where I began many years ago was with the sense that lots of guys had this instinctively. They were running... They were growing churches. You, you, this guy here, you know, five minutes away from this guy... He's running a church of 50. He's running a church of 500. They start at the same time. They both love the gospel. They both are prayerful, humble. He's actually not as prayerful. <laughs> Do you know? And yet he's... Gr What's going on? And he just had a natural instinct for multiplication and leveraging and system and making it work. He had a natural... And so I hung out to try and get that instinct. So I've spent all... As many years as I've been in ministry visiting churches who are pushing ahead to find... Tell me what's going on. How are you doing this? And I come away and... So Craig and I spent 
uh, two weeks in America, did this, we did the Saddleback tour. And um, we got headaches resting through what is going on here, what really is the, the core of it, what's just an Americanism, what's a Trojan horse that brings back a fatal flaw. But you've got to, I think it's so, see, I softened my stomach, I think it's very helpful to do that. I don't think you have to do that, but it's very helpful to do that, which I take it's partly why you.